Say what you see, do what you say. How are you, Kate? You just surprised me with that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know where she was going. I thought she was going in a normal direction, and there we were. You should know me by now. The podcast that is diverse. Who would have thought it? How are you doing? Oh, you asked me how I was doing. I'm okay. I just Um, wanted to surprise you, though. I'm uh, just been packing to go on tour. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) But um, one of the reasons why I'm not that organised is because I was binge-watching Gentleman Jack. It's about um, a lesbian in, I think, the 1700s, and she was a real woman called Anna Lister, and it's just given me all the feels because I just keep being like, I've been there! I've been there! Dating somebody who's, like, quote-unquote straight or in the closet, and you're just trying to make them be brave, and they just can't be brave, and everybody else is judging you around it, and there's rumours flying around, and you're just like... Ah, so yes, I am seriously. I was having so many. My little um, closeted or semi-closeted gay self was having a lot of feelings. Well, like uh, like gay vampire Willow. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know where you were going with that. Yeah. I didn't realise I was gay when I was watching Buffy, but I did kiss my posters goodnight every night. <laughs> I used to kiss my posters goodnight every night as well, and I'm not gay, so she'll figure it out. Um, speaking of speaking uh, of cult TV shows with villains with weird things stuck to their faces (laughs) that's pretty specific they're also like defining TV shows that people who watch them actually help find themselves in the character so our current guest was in one of those defining TV shows now with a strong female lead but historically with a strong very camp, may or need. <laughs> Doctor Who. Who are you? I'm Sam. I'm but Sam. But what's your real name? Well, my real name is Samuel Oakley. But what's your real name? What, do you mean in Doctor Who? Yeah. <laughs> so my character's name is Sim Shaw. Tim Shaw? Yeah, there we go. So she got the interchange in. Tim Shaw, as it were, yeah. Do you know about this, Holly? No. So, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but there was some sort of weird northerner joke... Yeah, so basically, I think in the, in the first step, the gag is obviously that, yeah, she mishears, well, uh, deliberately or not, you know, his name and sort of says it back to him and obviously he gets very irate that she's mispronouncing his name. But, yeah, that's kind of the gag. I mean, whether she's she's it does it intentionally or not is obviously open to, I suppose, interpretation. But, yeah, she likes to wind him up big time. Dear Jodie Whittaker, could you finally speak out on whether or not the Doctor deliberately mispronounced <laughs> I'm sure she listens. So, Sam, was it a good part to get your teeth into? Yeah, oh, very good. Another teeth segue. It was quality. It was a quality part. I remember getting the audition and having no idea what to do with it. So I decided to pretty much do nothing. I just thought the best thing to do would be to really strip it back because I think the trap you fall into is doing way too much of it and actually... Certainly from my memories of Doctor Who, when I used to watch it when I was a kid, the scariest things for me are the... It's like the vacancy in people. Like, I find that really petrifying. The villains that have that vacant thing about them, and I use villains in terms, in all terms, I suppose, through life I mean, if you look in Donald Trump's eyes, (laughs) it's terrifying. But no, that's it. It's that you have no idea what really is pushing them forward. So, yeah, so I just decided to go down that route, and I focused very much on the vocal. I thought the vocal would be cool to look at, because being an alien, you get a little bit of a... 
a chance to hit, have a play around with that. So I decided to play around the vocal and just create a lot of stillness. And that's how I did it, because I thought anything else, I'm going to completely overhand this. And then, yeah, I got the call the next day. Listeners who maybe haven't seen the episode, um, you don't see his face for most of it, right? Yeah, not in the first step. His face sort of you know, comes out every now and then, but mainly it's the sort of whole outfit that's the key and he's got this pretty horrible mask on as well. So yeah, you won't see my face a lot and then when you do see my face, there's a rather hefty prosthetic over it. I love that it was like trending on Instagram mm -hmm. and Twitter. And it was like it was, I was like number four worldwide for like <laughs> three, four hours, I think, my character. You're getting recognised in the street a lot now then. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh God, that would be worrying if I was getting recognised in the street a lot, having looked like that. Basically, the character's face is just teeth. Yeah. Um, we actually asked you on here because of a letter that you wrote. Mm. So we were saying earlier on about how the Doctor is now Northern and it was quite a big deal that for the first time it wasn't a Southern RP Englishman and mm. it was a Northern lass. Uh, Sheffield's like such a huge part of this season as well. Yeah. So you were saying as well about accents. Yeah. Um, you've been doing a bit of activism regarding... Yes, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's funny, I don't know when it crosses to that line, really. I suppose you sort of sit and you watch for a long time that you don't often say stuff on. I mean, partly because you're always aware of how much does my opinion really matter. And then also, as time goes on, then your, your default position works to, do I really want to speak out about something and potentially ruffle feathers or whatever, you know. But it's kind of got to a point in my life now where, over time, having watched theatre and television and film for a long time and having specific loves in certain areas you start to become well, you are aware very early on of patterns forming and yeah it got to a point where enough's enough and I feel like now it's time to start talking about making sure that the representation is it's telling the right stories that's the thing it's just about telling the right stories and I think that we don't do that a lot you wrote a letter yeah. to a big theatre I've wrote a few now it isn't just about one thing. I mean, I think that we got a situation where professional acting, for example, and indeed lots of other public-facing careers, there is a certain perception about appearance, look, but also sound. And I think a lot of movement at the moment is happening with regards to appearance. And a, a lot of things happening, what your, what your eyes register with diversity and with inclusiveness and representation. Oh, I can see that that's, you know a diverse cast. I can see that they've got lots of different people from different walks of life in that newsroom. But what I believe is lacking in the commitment of representation, inclusivity and diversity is the idea that it don't just end with your eyes. It ends with sound as well. And again, that's not a universal thing, but the majority of people will, you know, open their mouths and make sound and talk. And if we're not showing range and diversity and inclusiveness within that bracket, then how can we be claiming to be diverse? Because we're showing them something, but we're not committing to it entirely. The idea that we feel if we're doing, say, a Shakespeare play, that we have to do an RP accent. That's the first thing that's stuck in my mind, because I've been watching Shakespeare for, oh God, I don't even know how long now, but I very rarely see a good Shakespeare play. I mean, don't get me wrong, of course, that's a huge sweeping statement. There are always elements within certain things which you can consider to be good. But in general, I find it an interesting one to start with because there are a lot of things that we've been telling the world for a long time about Shakespeare and what type of people do it and what those people sound like and where you've come from to perform it. It was a really interesting one for me to kind of focus on at first, I think. It's also hilarious because Shakespeare didn't used to be spoken in 
what would people who don't know is received pronunciation so it's basically bbc english mm. didn't used to be spoken like that certain companies will do it in the accent that it used to be mm. and it sounds way more like kind of the midlands mm. and um it used to be something for all the layabouts and every men to go and enjoy so yes yeah. i do think why it falls down so much is because a lot of us i think that do shakespeare in this industry specifically are arrogant enough to believe that the cast that's assembled the director that's involved it's just taken for granted that oh yeah we can do shakespeare the problem is then they start adding layers onto it before they've actually just dealt with the basics of telling a story having a conversation with each other forget shakespeare anything that you're going to see whether it be on television or film on stage they're conversations they're just conversations and they all differ in stakes and interactions and where they are when they have these conversations and I mean god it's endless but at the end of the day all they are is conversations and if we're not in a scenario where we're good at that first then that's where we're going to produce or continue to produce bad work and I think that that's what I see the majority of the time is people not taking care of the of the baseline first or it comes from a fear of we're not enough, we won't be able to do this unless we add something else onto it. Oh, God, yeah, well, you've got layers that go on top. The problem I've got with the vocal side of it is that it's been instilled in people from a very early position that there is a certain sound for something like Shakespeare, that there is a certain sound of a professional theatre actor as well. Or a newsreader. Yeah, or a newsreader, exactly. the person who runs the bank. Exactly, yeah, or yeah. Or the person who is the boss as opposed to the person who gets bossed around yeah, yeah yeah and how you know if you sound a certain way then people will assume that you're of higher class it's class and at the end of the day you have to go back to the point of rp i suppose which i mean i've talked about this a lot but i suppose the general idea of rp was to neutralize and to elevate so it's to create a uniform sound for different groups of people that were coming to certain areas, where that be places of education or whatever, and to strip them of their identity. And I don't mean this in an aggressive way, but the idea was we can create a uniform sound which basically elevates the situation for everyone. And I find it so interesting. The arts, I think, as well are one of the professions that like to think that they're open and aware and it's about people and it's about you know making sure we're inclusive and blah 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 but actually I'm amazed that as prominent driving force to our profession not just at home but globally is a sound that has been made to neutralise and elevate and I think that in itself is really interesting like the word neutralise just makes me it makes me laugh because it's the way that a dictatorship would speak to people you know that that I mean, it's always funny when you get an audition and they want you to neutralise your accent. We, we grow up thinking that RP isn't an accent and I remember being at acting school and our acting teacher being like, no, 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 RP is an accent just like Wakefield is an accent. Yeah, yeah. Like, my girlfriend's Scottish. She does quite a bit of Shakespeare on and off and she will go to an audition and they'll be like, okay, can we lose the accent now? Yeah. And she'll be like, what, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, just without the Scottish accent. She's like, yep. And she'll just keep asking until they tell her RP because it's fine to go, can you do it in RP? Because it acknowledges the fact that it's an accent, but it's when you take away the acknowledgement yeah, that yeah. RP is an accent and just the, yeah. the white middle class RP is the canvas and everything else is just colour on top of that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't understand where the confusion is. Like, with Shakespeare specifically, one of the theatres that obviously he was heavily involved in, which was based in London, 
you know, or around London at the time. And, you know, for the people of London mainly, I mean, there wouldn't have been vast people travelling from lots of places to go and watch Theatre of the Globe, you know, during that time period. The majority of the people passing through that theatre on a regular basis would have been, you know, from the City of London. And I think it's interesting that... I would argue in the years that I've been watching Shakespeare, if we're talking specifically about London, and which is interesting because that's my accent, I suppose, um, is that this is a sound I hear the least out of everything. And what's funny is if you hear the regional sounds, forget about London now, if you hear those sounds, usually they're playing a certain type of character in Shakespeare. There'll be a messenger or a servant, or there'll be the comic relief characters. Now, again, I don't sit here and say I think there's anything wrong with that, because that's storytelling. Because it would be ridiculous to suggest that those voices weren't in those characters or parts. Of course they are. But it doesn't mean to say that those voices or sounds can't be anywhere else. You know, and that's, for me, the big, the big shift that needs to occur. We're just not telling the right stories, for whatever reason. A lot of that is down to fear of alienating the fan base and the populace that that watch that sort of a thing, I think, and the backlash that would occur if suddenly you had a Hamlet coming on who was, you know, from the North or whatever, I don't know. I'm pretty certain that Shakespeare would have a real problem with the way that stories are told now and what we profess to be good work on his behalf. Uh, I think he'd have a real problem with, personally. Um, well, the whole point in, in his theatre was that it was accessible for everyone, right? Yeah. I mean, they literally separated it so that anyone from any class could come and see the show and, yeah. and be able to... And yet we've isolated it into this one sort of... Well, we've intellectualised it. All forms of, of entertainment to a certain extent. I think that's why you see a lot more people revert to reality TV, obviously, at its massive explosion on but isn't television. isn't that a sign that people were feeling alienated by the way that stories were being told because they weren't seeing themselves in it? And so it took reality TV to be like even though it's heavily edited and storified, mm. it was a way to be like, oh, I'm actually seeing people on TV yeah, yeah. rather than... I feel like Shakespeare would be like, why are you so obsessed with me? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, like, I'm really glad you're still doing it, but like, I've already got the globe. Why are you putting me on like 10 different yeah, theatres yeah. in London? He wasn't even that famous at the time. I mean, um, Kit Marlowe was more famous than him, I think. Shakespeare stories get done loads because the stories are great. Uh, that, so that's the end, the end of the... Uh, if, you, if you actually listen to the stories or if you actually interact with the stories, the stories are brilliant, and I would argue they're as relevant now as they've ever been. He didn't been. write them. He only wrote, what, The Tempest? Most of the other <laughs> stories. Most of the other stories. like, stories are great. That's why we still do Greek myths, and I'm totally with you, but we, like, completely rewrite Greek myths. Shakespeare was stealing everybody else's stories. Everybody, just like everybody's yeah. been stealing. Steals. Yeah, yeah. Everybody steals. Everyone's yeah. inspired. You can't make something without having experienced something else in the first place. Like Yeah, and I think, as look, I mean, there's so many things that you are influenced by. With it. I mean, how many how many cop shows do you see on television? I mean, literally, like, just, just churned out repeatedly. All really with exactly the same storyline and then just certain shifts around key characters or oh whatever. Oh, my God, can I go off on a tangent, please? It's time for a tangent by Kate Lewis Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> you know you have those, like, horror movies and it's all the same. It's all the same, like, The Walking Dead in a different kind of zombie thing or like yeah. I had a thing at Christmas have you noticed how many Christmas movies there are about an American girl that like goes off and falls in love with a guy and it turns out that he's secretly a prince of a like of, of an island in Europe that no one's ever heard of and she has to go back with him and save the orphans before Christmas dinner starts I've never seen a single one of these <laughs> I think it was around Christmas I went on Netflix started counting and this it was like this can of worms there are about 10 of them that I know of 
Now, if anyone would like to send me in names of more of these All stories, of I am collecting a list which will be used for reasons unknown. Don't they all star um, <laughs> Vanessa Thingy from High School Musical? Vanessa Hutchins. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they all star her. But again, isn't this another thing like, so obviously you know a lot about Shakespeare and stuff, but you're also in Doctor Who. Isn't this why sci-fi has consistently been one of the most underhandedly political, the most forward-thinking, the most accessible types of TV and film and consistently carries on to and like Avengers has caught the imagination of so many people because it's created this whole other world that doesn't feel pretentious but is also really well thought out and this latest season of Doctor Who I know some people have leveled criticism about it because they've said it feels like you know a history lesson or a lecture but that's what Doctor Who used to be Mm -mm. it used to be him standing up to injustice and now it's her being a part of Rosa Parks and and that's why I think sci-fi has always and why when I was growing up with Buffy it just meant so much to me because high school is hell is a metaphor and the first season they made it literal and then it just grew and grew it was was so on the nose it was like greek drama it was everything heightened to its extreme so that you could go okay if my boyfriend's drinking a potion turning into a demon beating me up every evening i probably need to break up with him which is literally an episode in season three about abusive relationships and it's only going back and watching it now that i'm realizing quite how important buffy was i mean it always was important to me what was it one of the first interracial parts or something was Star Trek or something. Yeah, yeah. Because she was blue. But that's <laughs> but that's funny, isn't it? In using our imagination to concoct made-up worlds, that's when we find that we can fully represent a diverse and inclusive civilization. Yet when we think about creating things that are of our world, we can't do that. Well, and Shakespeare couldn't do it because he was making comments on what was happening in the UK and setting it in, you know, Verona mm. because we don't like to examine ourselves whilst admitting that we're examining ourselves. If you go back to class, he was having kings having emotional breakdowns about the meaning of life, then you'd have common people talking about things like honour and like, sorry, class is so archaic, I don't understand why it's still a thing in this country. Mm. What, it started because we decided that the king was chosen by God and we wanted to make sure that we kept people separate and in their place, so we told them that they had to pick lords who were chosen by God and the lords were in charge of the people who weren't chosen by God. And how is still a thing. It's all about power because it's gone from God told me to well, free market capitalism just told me that I'm better with money than you to okay yeah maybe this free market capitalism is a little bit difficult because it does sometimes crash but those people over there are lazy and when those people over there are like I'm not lazy don't you tell me I'm lazy you just took away my job you go Ooh, those brown people <laughs> are the reason and it's just there's yeah. a lot of internalized snobbery that people just are too ashamed to face up to. What I think is interesting, though, as well, is that people don't like complicated worlds. We would all choose, if we could, to have a lot more straightforward lives than we'd probably do. And I don't mean that as in, like, struggles, but I just mean in general. Like, if there was something that you woke up in the morning, you click your fingers and your washing would be done for you, you'd choose to have that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't like complications. And class, diversity, representation, all these things are complications to certain people. We're very good at at giving ourselves a pat on the back. We're very good at telling ourselves how good we are at something or whatever. But the problem we've also got is that we're extremely incestuous. We are putting limitations on ourselves because of how we view Mm. things, because of the way that we want to interact within our, our community and within our profession. 
Sam, I have mentioned a couple of times on this podcast mm. the idea of divide and conquer within the country as a whole. And the reason I mentioned it is because we actually had quite a good chat about it a while ago. Do you remember? I do remember, vaguely, yeah. We were talking about the oppression Olympics and how sad it is. And you talked to me about how you thought that it was a sort of divide and conquer thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a clever tactic, isn't it? For me, that just feels like something that's been set up in a way that means that everyone that is considered by certain individuals to be below a certain level as it were or not on the same level as those people it's a way to keep the animals fighting against themselves as it were if we're all concerned mainly about who's in the worst scenario with regards to their you know i don't know as you say how well they're represented what problems they're going through in their lives whatever it is if it's if it's literally becomes a competition then that is that's completely where where those sorts of people would want it to be you know where the eye is taken off the ball if we just talk that's the problem Far too many people in the entire world talk, and they talk with definity as well. And even though I can come across a lot of the times like I'm speaking in definity, I'm not. I'm speaking very much, hopefully, from a point of just my experience personally. But if we have too much time where people just talk about stuff and talk about what it is to be diverse and what it is to be inclusive. And I see this a lot with people in the industry, certainly as well with people that have the chance to create more inclusive situations, representative situations. Then we're, it's just, we're just never going to get anywhere. And it comes back again to the idea about how our lives, therefore, as well, have got to be diverse. I keep banging that drum as well. well we talked about that, I think, before with the Jack and Libby episode where we, we realised the revelation that in order to understand different groups of people you have to be friends with yeah you have to yeah you have to mingle yeah you have to mingle that's about putting yourself in scenarios that you, you instinctively wouldn't usually do i think we're probably a bit better at that when we're younger and then i think as you get older you kind of narrow down and you kind of sit in your life a bit more and you're less adventurous i think with regards to who you interact with and and putting yourself out there a bit more. But I think that certainly from all perspectives in our industry, writers, directors, producers, casting directors, actors, stage managers, anyone that's involved in this industry, you know, if we really want to take on board that idea of representation, if we really want to take on board the idea of diversity, if we really want to send that out to an audience as well, then that has to be about actively seeking out those types of stories as well to actually go and experience them ourselves you know people must get this all the time when they watch a tv show or a theater show and they watch it and it's about a certain type of person in a certain scenario and they go that wouldn't happen that that would never happen because you know that scenario yourself you've either been in it or you've interacted with that person or whatever you know that scenario and the writer and the producers and the theater or the production company they haven't so they put out their perception of what that is. And so many times you will sit there either at home or in the theatre with your head in your hands going, that would never happen. That is a far cry from the reality of what would happen. Um, and that comes back to, again, this idea that we have definity over stuff. That certain people in all industries have the answers. They know what it is. Without experiencing it, they know what it is. They are at a certain position in life where they've managed to understand all areas. Therefore, this perception is the right perception. I think that also happens with if you are somebody who's grown up, like Kate was saying earlier, thinking you are the canvas. You think that you can paint other people's stories on that yeah, canvas, yeah, yeah. canvas as well. So you're like, well, being a straight white middle class man, I've been brought up being told that I'm the one with the most level head and that my opinion is the most objective when I would argue that 
that is the most subjective and even mm. to be slightly outside of what it means to be straight white heterosexual and male middle class and whatever else you want to add on to it gives you more objectivity because you see how subjective it all is mm, yeah, yeah. i went to a show and it was about non-binary issues and trans issues and it was so bad i said did the director talk to anyone who was trans? Well, no, but he's got a lot of gay friends and family members. And I was like, gay friends and family members does not trans understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. make. And it was the idea that that was like a justification as yeah. to why he was fit to write his version of what it should be to write a love story between gender non-binary people and cis people. Yeah. I was like, where does this idea come from that you don't even have to do anything other than a cursory bit of research. I saw another show recently where it was like set in a jail and somebody asked, did you go and talk to anyone who'd ever been in jail? She's quite a big actress. She's been nominated for Olivier's multiple times. And she was like, no, I feel like it would have felt voyeuristic if I'd have gone to talk to them about it. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking mm. about? You're setting a play in this world of a jail. And you haven't spoken to a single person who's been in jail. Yeah, yeah. Because you think it would be looking down on them to tell their stories properly. And that, to me, is exactly what's wrong with... Not even our industry, but, like, our politics. Nigel Farage doesn't have a fucking clue what it means to be working class, but he's managed to convince people that he does because he's quite rightfully pointing out that nobody else is caring about them. Also, he must care about them, mm. even though he doesn't. But, yeah, that, to me, is the problem, not just with our industry, but... Politics, civil service, fucking people running restaurants. Yeah, like, yeah. While you guys have been talking, I've just been having an, like an existential crisis, <laughs> like going off on tangents. Can I just tell a story? I went to the Christian Dior exhibition the other day, right? And I was looking at the postcards at the end, and this girl came up to me and just decided to make friends with me, and she was super cool, and she's doing a PhD on like German philosophy and like. She had cool hair, and I was like, great, let's have a chat, okay? And she was saying how her sister worked in fashion, and so she knew which Christian Dior designer had done this one and this one and this one. And she pointed out this one dress, and all the other dresses were kind of like, not similar style, but kind of fitting into a mould, right? And there was this one dress, it was like, the, it was bright red, and there were waves of dress, like, coming up all over the place, and it was just completely unwearable, unless you're at the Met Gala. And she was like, who didn't tell John that that's not okay. Like, where was John when everyone was explaining the rules for, like, what you can and can't do? And then he just decided to make this dress, and then I bought the dress, right? Well, I bought the postcard and put it up on my wall to remind... I was like, fuck it out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a flat. <laughs> but I bought the postcard just as a reminder of, like, all these fucking rules... Like, the political system in this country, all the boxes we're supposed to fucking fit in, they're all man-made, they're not real. And <laughs> man, man being your... Th they're all man-man-man-made, <laughs> highlighted. Just fucking break them. If you never knew that they were walls, then you suddenly, when you discover them, you, you're just baffled by them. Like, I grew up... Uh, Kick them first... down, Ollie! Well, I didn't Kick know I was down. never given walls for my, for my childhood. I grew up... Uh, my dad was a stay-at-home dad. He was 15 years older than my mum, and he was a stay-at-home dad, So, I, and my mum used to go out to work, so I grew up just assuming that the woman would be the breadwinner, and I would go to work five days a week and bring home the bacon, the now-vegan bacon. <laughs> um, and then my first dream was to be, as well as being a Spice Girl, a football player. And I was like, well, yeah, my best friend lived across the road, and I used to be able to beat him at football until I got a bit older, and so I never assumed that I couldn't do that. 
then went to an all-girls school and I never assumed that I couldn't be clever so that was it and then and then I became a drummer uh, when I went to secondary school and it was like well of course you could be a drummer and I don't think every all-girls school would have been like that it was only when I kind of hit tiny little snags that I was baffled like a drum student that I was gonna have just didn't call back and my boss had to explain to me it was because they found out my name was Holly and not Interesting. On, on me or something. They were like, oh, she's a girl and then never called back. And I remember that as being like a definitive moment where the injustice of that has really stuck with me. But that is because I didn't know about all these boxes. Mm. Whereas all these people who have been born with these boxes that they're constantly having to... Like, yeah. they. For me, it's really easy to break out of them because I never knew I was meant to be in them until it becomes a dangerous but situation do, to do so. But do, to a certain extent, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's... It's a very interesting point about how much power we give to them. I wonder, as time goes on as well, how much power we give to some of those boxes. Like your example there about the student that you were supposed to have. It's interesting, is it, because he's the only person that's potentially really losing out on that. Like, I know that you've lost, you're technically losing a student, but it doesn't affect your ability to drum. It just means that he shut down an opportunity to learn drumming from someone that could well have been a really good drumming teacher for him. Yeah. But in the sense of, it wasn't about you individually, as in Holly, it was about your gender in that moment. It for was you. about the box yeah. that that man had put in me. And yeah, that oh, put in me, no, yeah. put around me. That's put me in. Uh, Ooh, and that's when I realised I was gay. Uh, no, I mean, no, you're right, but you do sometimes lose out on paid work because yeah. your accent's not right, your gender's no, that's right. not right, yeah, yeah. you're not uh, feminine enough to play this feminine part. But then at the same time, I would lose out on acting work because I didn't perform well in a meeting or because I because I might have blue eyes and not brown eyes or because I'm not six foot three, I'm six one. So what's interesting is... Even though I know there's going to be lots of times that I don't get a meeting or a job or whatever because of what I sound like, there's also regularly things that are nothing to do with any more than I've got blue eyes or I'm not the right height. But, but, so if I start putting those into boxes as well, then uh, how the fuck do you sleep at night? Like literally because you just box, it, suddenly you just live in a Tetris. Like you live in Tetris. <laughs> and it's just anger, isn't it? Yeah. And you're not... I'm very pro-anger, actually. I'm very pro-using that anger to spark some creativity. That's what so much of the best theatre I've ever seen in my life is about. But if it festers in you, yeah. when when you let those boxes define you, then you're right. You are just not only Tetrising yourself, but you're, like, splitting yourself yeah. up. You're dividing well, and conquering yourself. You give them power. Yeah. That's what I mean about giving them power, though. They're going to be there, and therefore they have a certain power because they're there, they're present. But everyone has the ability to decide how much power they add to that, potentially, um, and how much you endow those boxes with power. A lot of people in their mid-twenties to thirties and above now have spent their entire lives being put in their boxes before they realised it. Mm. I don't think that's going to happen as much anymore. No, I mean, I wonder what the effect will be of young people being aware of, as we put it, boxes... Part of the reason why I think the way that I feel about what I do today is because I believe that I could do lots of things. It's good to have that. It does make us sometimes a bit more scatty because we want to do everything. Yeah. But at least we feel like we can do everything if we if we really try. Yeah. Whereas I think there are plenty of people who have grown up being told, well, you can't do that. Especially people of our, our generation and up, for sure. Like, 
I don't think I knew what the word sexist meant when I was eight, but the eight-year-olds today definitely do know that, yeah. you know. Speaking of breaking moulds, speaking of education, speaking of all those things, can you tell us the story about when you were in the Globe meeting and, and oh everyone went around the table? Well, no, so, you see, it's funny. I never knew I wanted to be an actor. I went to drama school because I had fucking no idea what I wanted to do and because the drama school was ten minutes from my mum and dad's house. So what I find interesting, everyone at this meeting kind of had a connection to the industry. I'd known I wanted to be an actor or a director or a writer producer. I'd known I wanted to be in the arts. I was... Everyone kind of had this story. And, and then, what was this meeting? It was like a big... Oh, do you know what? I can't even remember now what the meeting actually was. It was We were all introducing ourselves and talking about what our connection to Shakespeare was, basically. How we got introduced to Shakespeare. I was one of the last people, and for starters, I swear so much. I haven't actually been too bad on this, but I swear so much. My voice was very, obviously, was quite a different sound to what I'd been going around the table. And um, I just said... Uh, yeah, I, I, I was exactly told the story that I've kind of told so far. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Got to the point of having to make a decision. Decided to go to the drama school because it was 10 minutes down the road. Applied for drama school. Got in. And then I got to drama school and I was like, what the fuck? Where am I? <laughs> then one of our last terms in first year, we did Shakespeare. I just found an immediate connection to it. Like, just that rhythm and the, um, and the, the huge scales of emotion. I think I was at a point in my life where I was probably quite angry. And Shakespeare kind of gave me a vent for that. Mm -hmm. So I was sometimes saying words that I kind of knew. I knew I did have a look at what they kind of meant. But actually what was more interesting was to me was what the word sounded like. What sounds do I hear when I say that word? So what do those sounds make me think of? When I hear that sound, what images come to my head? How do I feel when I say that word? What does someone look like when I say that word? How does that word make that person feel? They are by far the more interesting que uh, questions for me than give me a definition of what that word means. It's communication. Yeah. So I told them about the fact that, that yeah, I found Shakespeare in the point when I was going to quit drama school. So my point, the overall writing the story in Shakespeare in my mind is... I had decided drama school wasn't for me, acting wasn't for me, it weren't my world, I didn't kind of understand it really, didn't get it, just wasn't, it didn't connect with me. I started speaking Shakespeare and fuck me, my world just completely changed. And based on feedback I've got, I mean, I've had cast directors and producers that have supported me, directors that have supported me in my career, that after I've been up for a meeting for a character that maybe doesn't fit or doesn't seem to be something that my voice tells you I can play, come out of it and I've had feedback either through email or whatever going, I didn't know you could do that. Why wouldn't I be able to do it? Because you might sound like a certain way, look like a certain way, whatever. For the default position to be that therefore it's surprising when you achieve a certain thing, that is something that's really interesting to me. These are also from theatres, from sometimes casting, from producers, from directors that also embrace the idea of inclusivity and representation. And yet that's still their comment. Stop the podcast. It's time for a snazzy ad break. Hi everyone, it's Kate with a quick announcement to let you guys know that this is the last episode of Diversify Season 2. No! 
but never fear, we'll be back next year for season three. Now, if you're new to the podcast, check out all of our previous episodes. Some of my personal highlights include the moment where Joel de Fontaine of At Your Beat Studio nearly made me cry, the history of Catballs with Lolo Brow. From season one, we've got Libby Welsh sharing her experiences of being a profoundly deaf actor, and the episode with Sam Elson, where we talked about mental health and discovered that favourite Disney movies are actually psychoanalytical tools. In season one, we've also got Zach Polanski on politics, Daniel York on representation for East Asian artists, the NHS, lobbyists, Kamari Romeo on ticking all of the boxes. And this season, we've got Millie Simmons on grief, Jasmine Pradam from Balance Garden, Extinction Rebellion in Gale Force Winds, and then again in Basements. Afia Ahmed, contributing writer to It's Not About the Burka, was also awesome. And do not forget Aisha Wise Forbes, who recently launched the Passion Fruit app, which is for lady-loving ladies. If you've been with us from the beginning, thank you so much for supporting Diversify. If you could help us now by getting the word out, that would be awesome. Tell your friends, your family, people you meet in the pub, the postman, your racist Uncle Michael, and slowly but surely, we can get the word out. Speaking of uh, important moments in history of discussion and the English language, we have some very important questions to ask you. The most vital question, I think, is um, what's your favourite Disney Disney movie? movie? (laughs) Um, Wow. That is a good question. I would say my favourite... Well, the first thing that springs to mind Disney would be Robin Hood. Mm, would be one of my first ones that spring to mind Disney. That was my first as well. One of the least remember. problematic. I think what's interesting though, one of my favourite films that isn't Disney but felt like Disney, I'm pretty certain it's not Disney, or I might be wrong, was American Tale. What is American Tale? I feel like I'm... American Tale is the film about the mice that <gasps> the, go the from rescuers. Russian. That, no, no, the rescuers. No, the mice that are the Russian mice that basically are oppressed in their country by the the evil cats that come in and destroy their homes and kill their friends and family and they are basically told that there are no cats in America they are told that if they can get out of their sort of basis where they are and head over to America that they'll be fine and basically they do this believing that story uh, and obviously when they get to America they find out there are cats and there are even worse cats. Well, this is um, literally the American but story. what's interesting is the real driver in the film is, a, I suppose, really a father-son relationship, really, but it's a family relationship. And on the boat over, the one of the children called Fievel, he is really, he's always really intrigued about seeing different things and experiencing stuff. And he wants to see what the top of the boat looks like. And he climbs the stairs and it's a huge storm. And as he goes out into the huge boat, he gets caught up in all the winds and the water and the dad's chasing after him, trying to get him to come back. And he gets thrown off the boat and into the water. And so obviously the dad and the family believe that he's died. So they get to America and they're listing their names and everything and they're saying they're only there's only four of them now, not five and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, he turns up on the shores of America and basically okay. no, has to try and find his family, has to try and reunite with his family who believe he's dead. And so the film basically shows him on this journey to try and discover his family, this young kid. Um, and yeah, it's... Has a four-year-old son. Well, by the end, so I was watching this with my boy 
um, who I was desperate to introduce to a new film because dear Lord above, he rewatches the same films like 40 times and you just feel like you just can't cope anymore. So I said, right, I'm picking a film. Daddy's picking a film and he just goes, men, nah! And I'm, like, I'm picking a film, you're gonna love it. And I put it on, and within five minutes, he's quiet and he's watching it. We got to this end of this film, and I'm laying there, and I think I wasn't feeling great as well at the time. So I was even probably a little bit, I was a little bit lower as well. I think I had a bit of a cold or something, I was a bit lower. And this moment happens at the end of the film, and I just completely broke into pieces, right? And he was like, What's the matter, Daddy? What's going on? Why are you crying like this? And I'm like, Well, it's just so lovely, isn't it, mate? Like this. And then I told my wife about it. So she went, because it was one of her favourite films when she was little. So I told her about it and she went, Oh, I love that. I haven't seen that in years. So we all sat down to watch it the next day. And then me and my wife both burst into tears again during that moment. <laughs> So anyway, if you haven't watched it, watch it, and I bet you burst into tears at the end. Oh, there that we was go. the best answer. And spoiler, I struggled like crazy at the end of Avengers as well. No spoilers, no I watched spoilers. it. You haven't seen um, it? Oh, okay. The fine. interesting thing about this is we always ask, what's your favourite Disney movie? Because the first time we asked it, it was completely random because someone had mentioned it. And every single answer that everyone in the room gave was like, ah, that tells me a lot about my psychology. <laughs> So yeah. it's just really funny that you connected to this story of this tight-knit family trying to find their way back to each other. Yeah, yeah. And well, and, and the whole Robin Hood thing. Like, I loved Disney Robin Hood and the songs in Disney it's Robin Hood are so good well. and the characters, the voices are great. Like, there's just so much to love about that. Um, but, yeah, Disney have created a few genius moments, that's for certain, I think. Right, we are really running out of time. When... Mm. If ever, do you turn off your activism? Or you said at the very beginning you weren't quite sure when it yeah, became. I'm not activism. sure I ever viewed. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because I don't know whether I've ever really viewed myself like that. I just kind of listen to something and then think that's bullshit, and then now anyway decide to say something about it. So if that's activism, then I suppose that's what I'm doing. But I always love to hear people's versions of events and then go. Um, interesting. I'm not quite sure that's exactly right. Or I want to learn from it. Or I want to learn from it. Yeah, like 100%. But I find nowadays what's interesting is speaking to people that have definitive answers on stuff. So I've raised lots of points with regards to education and things like this and about Shakespeare. I'm not saying I can solve them all. I'm not saying I've got any mass answers. What I am saying is if you continue to tell the same story that we all speak Shakespeare in a certain way and that we teach it in a certain way, all that's going to happen is in 40 years' time we're going to have no fucking audience because no one's going to have connected with Shakespeare coming through and all the current audience is going to be dead. So you're going to have a problem in a few years' time because you're not teaching it or introducing it to the right generation. You know, telling them it's okay to speak in your voice, whether that be an RP sound or a you know Manchester sound or a London sound or whatever, you can speak in it and do Shakespeare. There is no rule against it. You can be a king and sound like you're from Manchester or whatever. That is fine. That is perfectly acceptable. So unless we start educating in the right way, then that's where the problem is. Now, as I say, I haven't necessarily got all those answers. I'm just saying that I think that's where the root of the issue lies. And I have some ideas on how it would help, but I don't know... I don't know that I have any solutions, you know. You're shaking things up, Sam, and that's what needs mm -hmm. to happen. You're shaking things up. One more question for you. Mm. Can you provide us, in this world of pain and sorrow and little mice getting separated <laughs> from their parents, and um, can you give us a bit of sunshine to end the podcast with? Something that is making you feel good about the world? I mean, oh God. Look, the first thing I would say is that we all have the power to kind of make... We all have the power to do something about what it is we're feeling about. 
right? So if you if there's something that you feel you need to do, and it can be as minimal as if you've finally saved up enough money that you can afford a deposit for a house, you know, you have the power to go and get yourself that house. You need to do some research first, ask the right questions. Blah, 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 you can go and do those things. If you feel like there is a director that you really want to connect with, you can do that. You just have to find the way. You have to go on IMDb. You have to go online. You have to find out all the contacts you can and get in touch with those people and make sure that it's for a set reason and you're not just doing it for the sake of it. And if you're, what, how old is she, Greta? Greta Thunberg? If you're 13, 14 to 15 years if old. 16. If you're 16. <laughs> and you are terrified and worried about climate change, you can go and be a huge activist and yeah. wave of change yeah. like and Greta. change it. I think that like that, conversation we you, had, that conversation we had earlier about boxes, I think the more that we choose to not empower those boxes, then the quicker we'll, it will be for us to get to a place. There will be a lot more diversity going on, a lot more equal representation going on, a lot more people believing they can do something as opposed to believing they can't do something. And again, that comes back to education. What we tell people early on about themselves and how they interact with each other and different things in their life is absolutely key to how they feel and how they manage to put that into practice as they move through life. And the minute we're in scenarios where we're giving power to boxes, then we're going to perpetuate the same things are going to happen. And if we're doing this idea of oppression Olympics and stuff, which, again, I still can't get my head around, but if we're doing that sort of thing, nothing's really going to change. And it's happening already with this idea that we said earlier with diversity, ending with just eyes, and it doesn't. It ends with lots of other things, sound included. Great. If we survive Trump, Brexit and global warming, then everything will be OK. Uh, plugs... Are you on Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, I'm, I don't use my stuff a lot. I am on them. I've only just discovered Instagram, which is a weird thing. I'm not really... I still don't... Sam. Yeah, I don't really... I still can't get my head around how useful it is yet. I don't know for me. Well, if you post loads of pictures of your toothpace. Yeah, I've done a few, actually. Twitter I've always found interesting just for the amount of information you can yeah. get out there. And what's your uh, handle? It's just at Samuel Oatley. That's it. It's just at Samuel Oatley. And Instagram? is is um oats so difficult great <laughs> fantastic i think you should be uh, at tim shaw then you get well funny. no yeah that was already i mean it was funny on the when the doctor was going i kept on getting messages from a tim shaw so i did a radio interview for australia because there is a tim shaw in australia who is a personality a media personality and he has his own radio show. So after the Doctor Who episode first aired, he got me on his radio show because he suddenly had all this information coming his way and couldn't understand what was going on because it hadn't aired in Australia yet, I don't think. So. I see that happening so much when there are like celebrities that aren't on Twitter and people were just like at the wrong ones. Yeah. And you're just like this poor person who just so happens to be called like Jodie Whittaker yeah, who yeah. is not on Twitter, you know, who's getting all these ads and must be like... What's going on? Uh, anyway, so we are on Twitter at DiversifyPod or Instagram at DiversifyPodcast. Use the hashtag DiversifyPod. Send us an email. Um, Kate's on Twitter. Kate Lois Elliot two L's two T's and that's Instagram as well. And we will speak to you later. And don't forget to rate and subscribe because it helps people find us. Yes. And get the word out about um, 
an American tale. Because <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest, that's the most important part of this discussion. <laughs> Princess Diaries, Once Upon a Christmas, What a Girl Wants, A Royal Christmas Ball, The Prince and Me, A Christmas Prince, The Christmas Prince, My Christmas Prince, A Prince for Christmas, A Princess for Christmas, Christmas with a Prince, The Royal Wedding, and Lord Marcus Beaton in Gossip Girl Season 2.